Let's just sit and pray together. Father, I come to you this morning and I pray for every person listening in this morning. Father, everyone who sits under the sound of my voice, I pray that your presence will come and encounter them. I pray that you will encounter all of us, Lord. We come and we surrender as we get into your word, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and breathe life upon it. I pray that you will come and break open the word, that you will take us into a deeper understanding of who you are, Lord. I pray that we will not just have knowledge of who you are, but that we will have experiential knowledge, that we will have revelation of your goodness, of your mercy and of your grace. Father, I pray that the anointing will, will, will fill the word, that the anointing will break every yoke. Your word says that it is by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that every yoke is broken. Your word says that when the Holy Spirit fills us, there is living waters that flow from us, Lord. We cannot drink water that stands still, and so we we pray for water, for water that will move, that will gush out of our bellies, Lord. I pray that you will fill us with your Spirit this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come upon us, that we will receive power, Father, dunamis power, supernatural power to live the life that you have called us to. Lord, everything we do, we surrender to you. We come and we, as good as we know how to, we surrender to you that you will have your way in us. Father, I pray for every person. I pray that the blood of Jesus will cover them. I pray, Father, that your anointing will be with them. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Great, guys. So um, we're busy with Peter and we're um, talking about what it is to be a disciple uh, of Jesus. Um, and we said that it is um, important to learn from probably the best disciple to learn from. Um, I don't know if you're following the news um, I hope that there's a sense of urgency being stirred in you. Uh, I'm not talking about the South African news. I'm talking about international news. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but there was a peace treaty signed between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Um, now, I don't think that this is necessarily the peace treaty that the book of Revelation speaks about, but it is certainly a move in that direction, which means, as we've said for many months now, is that the end is near that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. We're anticipating his return uh, and it's going to be a glorious day. The rapture will take place and his church will be removed from this world uh, to, to miss the great tribulation. Uh, and, but I think that that must stir a sense of urgency within us as believers for our own lives, that we will earnestly pursue Jesus, that we will diligently pursue him. Uh, the word says that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's that word diligence. Uh, we have to be diligent. That's not legalistic. That is because we're passionately in love with him, that we're passionately uh, consumed with him, and we want more of him. It is this amazing love relationship. Like the song we just sang that says, I'll set you as a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon my arm. I'm going to pursue you with everything, Lord. Nothing is going to distract me anymore. I'm not going to be distracted by the stuff that I go through. I'm not going to be distracted by the, by the political world. I'm not going to be distracted by the lockdown rules um, and the state of emergency or disaster, as they call it. I'm not going to be distracted by things like COVID. I'm going to, be, I'm going to zone in and I'm going to be focused upon Jesus. Um, as it says in Hebrews 12, that, that, that we will set Jesus in front of us, that we will run this race with perseverance, keeping our eyes fixated upon him, that we will behold the Lamb of God. And so there must be this sense of urgency for our own lives, but there must also be the sense of urgency for others. 
There must be the sense of urgency that we will do the word of God, that it will flow from our lives, that we will have an impact wherever we go. That it will not just be about coming to church or joining a, a service on Sunday. Uh, I was listening to a preacher last, last night and he's saying that if you're just a Sunday Christian, you're in trouble. And, and I tend to agree with him. Um, that you are in trouble. I'm not talking from a salvation perspective, but your life is going to be filled with struggles. Um, we need to live daily in the presence of God. And so we need to pursue, pursue that. Um, and so we are busy with Peter. Uh, we're going to start reading from verse 5. Um, we, we looked at verses 1 to 4, uh, focusing more on verse 1 and 2 last week. Um, I, I'll say a couple of things about that, but let's read from verse 5. It says, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these quali qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know who of you have ever got up in the morning and said, oh my goodness, I just want to see how hard I can fall today. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you have ever gotten up in the morning and said, oh, I just want to see how ineffective I can be. I don't think that's ever our heart's desire. We're never getting out of bed trying to be a failure. Um, and in terms of the word of God, if we read these last verses that I've read to you from verse 10, it says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Uh, what it means to confirm your calling and election is to go back to verses 1 to 4, to understand that everything has been given to you, that we've not been saved by our works, but that we've been saved by grace through faith. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. Um, that, that Jesus Christ is the one who pulls us out of darkness, that he is the one that clothes us with, with righteousness. And this is the foundation that Peter lays uh, when he starts in verse 5, when he says, for this very reason. Um, he says, for this very reason. What reason is this? Uh, he's referring back to the first four verses of, of the scripture. And he's, he said, because you've been called by name. Because you have been saved by a king that stepped from his throne, that came to earth, that was obedient to becoming a human being, obedient even to the death on a cross. Uh, because of this reason, because you've been called with purpose, because you've been taken out of a kingdom of darkness and placed in a kingdom of light, for this reason, because you've been called to be a bondservant and a messenger, an instrument of righteousness in the hands of God, like we've read in Romans 13 last week, or 6 verse 13 to 14 last week. Because we have received righteousness and faith, and because we count this faith precious. This faith is not just a mediocre faith. We said that it is a like uh, precious faith, the same faith as the faith fathers, the same faith as long as we count it valuable. Because we've received these great and precious promises through which we become partakers of the divine nature. It says in verse, it says this in verse uh, uh, five, 
uh, sorry, in verse um, verse 4, it says, Through these he has given us this very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. As long as we're standing on this word with that like precious faith. So this is the reason that, that Peter is now moving on from. He's laying this as a foundation, and I think it is exceptionally important that we understand that this is the foundation, because without this as a foundation, it would be by our works. And our works are never good enough. Isaiah says that our greatest works are like filthy rags. We've read last week, there's no one righteous, no one that can live up to the standard of God, unless he makes us righteous, unless he pulls us up to that standard. Uh, and so this is the foundation that Peter lies, and, and I want to place an emphasis on that, because we will be speaking about works today. But works flow from a position of understanding that I've been saved. Work, works flow from that foundation that has already been laid. We cannot build on any other foundation except one that has already been established. You can't build the walls and then lay the foundation. Um, and so this foundation is that we are not saved by our works, that we are not um, getting favor because of our works. We work because we have favor. We work because we have been saved. And that is the position that we work from. Um, and so he says then in, in verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. It takes a sense of diligence, a sense of urgency. We spoke about being a bondservant. We need to become a bondservant. We need to look at the word of God and then do the word of God. We cannot just read the word. We cannot be bedroom theologians or living room theologians, uh, having great theology but never living theology. God is not stoic. God is not stagnant. God is not a God that stands or sits still. He's a God that moves. He's a God that gives us power. We look at the life of Jesus. He walked from town to town and he lived the kingdom. He didn't just preach the kingdom. He lived it. He showed them the kingdom. And so we are called to walk in his footsteps. Um, so, so it is that we are to make every effort. Les and I spoke about it this week. We spoke about, as I said in the beginning, about presence culture. Are we cultivating the presence of God? Are we pushing into the presence? Are we seeking his presence? Are we seeking him to be with us? Or are we just getting up on a Sunday, getting ready to deliver a sermon, switching the computer off, uh, and then doing whatever it is that we're doing? Or are we living daily? Do we have that discipline? And this is important that we do not confuse discipline with legalism. Those two things are extremely different. Discipline, God has called us throughout scripture to be disciplined, to be self, to enact self-discipline. Uh, we're going to read about that today. and We're going to talk about that. Legalism is a mindset. Legalism is a mindset that I need to do certain things to get favor, that I need to do certain things uh, to be saved. That is legalistic. Uh, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace, but grace cannot be a hyper grace. Grace cannot be a free for all. Grace needs to change us. This whole scripture that we're busy with destroys the theology around hyper grace. Uh, hyper grace says that I can do whatever I want because there's grace. Hyper grace says it's okay that I keep on struggling. Hyper grace says that it's okay that I keep in my worst sins. Because God is gracious and is kind. And yes, he is. 
But grace is powerful. It is the grace of God that changes us. It is the grace of God that makes us like Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God that presents us, according to Colossians, pure and holy before Jesus. Um, it is the grace of God that, that clothes us with His righteousness. It is the grace of God that, that removes our iniquity. Uh, and so grace has to change us. And then that grace must be visible upon our lives. It is, the, it is by grace that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. It is by grace that we, that we flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but it's powerful. Uh, if, we, if we say that grace is just there to be our get-out-of-jail-free card, what we're doing is we're, 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 we are um, making light of uh, such a great salvation that we've received. We're taking the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross uh, and we're devaluing it. We're making it less than what it is. We're making the price that he has paid cheap. Um, and so the, the Bible speaks about that in Hebrews and, and we'll read that. But he says, do not make light of such a great salvation. We cannot make light of such a great salvation. The price that he has paid is worth more than all the gold and silver, more than all the diamonds that we can find. Uh, it is the greatest treasure that we can have is the blood of Jesus. It's the cross. It is him having victory on that day that he was crucified, overcoming sin and death, and that he was raised to life to sit at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and our eyes need to be focused on that. So we need to be diligent. We need to be focused. We need to make every effort because we've been saved and because we want to be like him. We want to show the world what he is like. So for this, re this reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So we take this faith, this like precious faith that we have, this faith that we've been saved, this faith that has taken us out of, you know, this faith that we have that we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the light. And then we add to that faith that we already have. We add goodness. Some scriptures translate it as virtue. We add virtue to it. And the word virtue um, or, or goodness means that we have moral excellency. Uh, now, in, in a westernized world, we talk about morals and standards. Uh, and that is, the, you know, having certain morals. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't this. I shouldn't that. I should keep to the speed limit. Um, uh, and, and these type of things, uh, westernized morality. But what God is saying here is he's saying it's moving past that sense of the morality that we have that is set by legislation or the way that we understand it from a westernized perspective. Uh, the, the morality and virtue that he is speaking about is, is having the morals of his word, is to take his word and to live by it. Um, I'll give you some examples. Um, uh, well, before I get to the examples, um, it is, it, it, the, the word morality comes from the word arit, uh, and it refers to ares, or the root word is Ares, and Ares is the Greek god of war. So this, this um, moral excellency is this warlike boldness that we have to stand for what is right. It is that we are resolute upon his word. We will not deviate from his word. We will not deviate from what he says. No matter what is thrown at us, uh, we're going to stand on this. So I'll give you a simple example. Um, so often you speak to Christians and uh, they, they've come to salvation and then you start speaking to them about baptism. And, and then what they say to you is, you know what, I, I just don't want to be baptized yet. I want to, I, I first want to understand it. I first want to think about it. I first want to, you know, go a year's journey um, in the state of being saved. 
uh, before I get baptized. Um, what God is saying here is you've got to do before you understand. You've got to, you've got to act upon out of willing obedience. It's the same as telling a child, you know, don't touch that. Uh, even before they understand, um, they need to they need to be obedient. The scripture says that obedience is greater than the sacrifice. And, and so this is a, a warlike, resolute mindset of being obedient to his word. Um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh, this thing that is that is prevalent in America. It is the talk of the town. Uh, it is the Wade versus Roe. It's pro-life versus pro-choice. Uh, it is uh, about abortion. Um, is abortion right or wrong? What does the word of God says? The word of God says you shall not murder. Um, are we standing? Uh, are we standing on His word, or are we saying that it's okay to have an abortion? Um, what about murder? Is it okay to murder? I think all of us will say no. Well, there's this case that has come up that, that I'm busy researching and that another pastor is speaking about. But there's, a, there's this case where a man murdered his mother uh, because she was suffering from Alzheimer's. And she, uh, you know, was really battling. So what he did is he threw her off the building and he was arrested for it. But eventually in the court case, what came out is they said that this is the most graceful thing that this man could have done. Uh, we talk about euthanasia. We just give it a different term. We give murder a different name. We call it euthanasia. We, we call it genade do it. Is that in our hands or isn't it in our hands? What does the word of God say? What about marriage? What does God say about marriage? That marriage is between a man and a woman. There is no other standard. Um, what does he say about us protecting our marriages, us walking in our marriages, us laying down our lives for one another? Are we standing on that? Or are we going with the flow? Or are we going to saying that it is okay that his standards can be lowered? That doesn't mean that we don't love uh, those that, that have had abortions. That doesn't mean that uh, we, we don't love those that are maybe in the LGBTQ plus community. We are called to love. That is our purpose. But you see, the world is confused because the world says that when you disagree with me, you hate me. That's not true. The world says, because you disagree with me, you are homophobic. That's not true. I'm not afraid. Phobia means to be afraid. I'm not afraid of you. I love you and I have to love you because that is the standard of the word. But on the flip side of that, love cannot lower or diminish the standard of God. We love because we're holding fast to a standard. We love because our hearts are poured out for people. And so um, it is important that we understand that uh, this morality that he is speaking about is standing resolutely upon the word, not deviating from it, not lowering its standards, uh, but to stand on it. It's going to become harder and harder to do that. It is already hard to do that. The world is already in our faces because of that. And so we need to be, we need to make up our minds as to what we are going to do. And then we need to take our faith and add this boldness to it. Add this resolute encouragement to it that we're going to stand on the word. Because his word is forever true. It will remain forever. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, and so we need to stand on that. Uh, he says then further on, he says, so take uh, this this uh, uh, 
morality, take this virtue, take this goodness, and then you make every effort. Uh, you make every effort to add to this goodness knowledge. Now, the word knowledge is um, not, not the knowledge that we think about, that it's just intellectual knowledge, uh, because we just spoke about that you can, we cannot be uh, living room theologians. Um, it, it's not just reading the word and getting to know him, things about him. Uh, it is actually a revelatory knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. It's knowledge that we have through experiencing him. Uh, it is taking that boldness, standing in the obedience and then experiencing, then coming to the understanding why I was obedient. Uh, it is being baptized and then understanding why I was baptized because I get an experience, I get the word, the word is broken open for me and I get to understand, I get to have this experiential knowledge of who he is and of what his desires are and what his purposes are for my life. So this is not just a head knowledge, it, it brings an understanding of the obedience, the goodness and the virtue, it is knowing him. Scripture says that this is eternal life. It's knowing Him. Knowing Him is eternal life. And, and so we need to move um, from faith to goodness to knowledge. And knowledge comes by reading the Word. It comes by living the Word. Knowledge comes by searching the Scriptures. You know, I don't have anything against reading the Bible on your phone. There's a lot of people do it. I do it. Uh, I'm not against that. But where are, the, where are our Bibles? Why, why is it that we don't open our Bibles anymore? Why is it that we don't search the scriptures anymore? Where we seek the answers to our questions until we understand. Because every question is answered in this book. He is the answer to it all. And, and so uh, where is that diligence? Where is that making every effort to search it? We're rather content to, to take a psalm and read a psalm before bed and just ponder on that a little bit and maybe kind of uh, prayerfully falling asleep uh, while we lie in our beds. But, but that's not what he's speaking about. He's speaking that we should make every effort, that we should be faithful bondservants. Uh, we spoke about being bondservants. It's a choice that I make. I'm not forced to do this. It is a choice that I make to be wholeheartedly obedient to him. Um, he, he goes on and he says, then take this knowledge and, and make every effort to add to it self-control. Self-control speaks of self-mastery. It speaks about that I, that I lay down my flesh, that I put to death the things that opposes him. It speaks about that I control the way that I speak, the control the way that I live, control the way that I do things. You might say that that is legalistic, but listen to what, uh, what uh, the Apostle Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians 9. He says this, he says uh, from verse 24, so 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's encouraging us to run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave 
so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I think this is such an important scripture for all of us. It's such an important scripture for those who preach. Uh, and I'm convicted by it that I should watch my actions, that I should watch the way that I speak. What do I leave with people? What is the aroma that they have of me? Am I, am I getting myself under control? Am I mastering my own ways? Because there's a way that seems right unto me. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is, is destruction. It says that he directs the footsteps of men. So it is again that wholehearted surrender where I say, God, I take your word. I'm wholeheartedly obedient to it. And my actions and my words and my thoughts and my meditations are going to be in line with that. We see that in the life of David. David prays, he says, Lord, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. He says, Lord, forgive my hidden faults and keep your servant from presumptuous sin, because then will I be upright and innocent and free from great transgressions. And that is his prayer. He says, Lord, do not take your presence away from me, but fill me with your spirit. He says, keep your spirit and your presence with me. Give me a willing spirit to sustain me. And that is what self-control does. Uh, and so it's important to have self-control. Let me ask you this. Um, what does your prayer life look like? Uh, what is, we've already spoken about this. What does your time in Scripture look like? Are we connected as a body? Do we make effort in reaching out? Do we make an effort of coming together, even though it may be virtual right now? Um, but are we coming together? Do we fellowship with one another? Are we listening to one another? Do we have a heart and a passion for one another? It comes down to what is our priorities? I want to take this back to this thing that where, where, where Peter says it is this like precious faith. Do we prioritize this precious faith that we have? Do we, do we prioritize his presence? Do we prioritize him? Or are we okay with giving him whatever is left? Are we okay with giving him the last couple of pennies that we have? Are we okay uh, with giving him the, the, the morsels of our time that is left at the end of the day. What are our priorities? That is what uh, it is speaking about. And it is speaking about are we then um, you know, self-disciplined in that. We have to be self-disciplined. He says then take the self-discipline and make every effort to add to that perseverance. Perseverance is, is something that, that the body really needs. Uh, we need to be encouraged by perseverance. I, I saw that there's this website called um, Days of the Year. Uh, and I see that Tuesday is, is I don't know who, who thought of this, but um, and if it's legit or not, or if they're just making up things. But, but Tuesday is known as Never Give Up Day. Uh, and I, I think with perseverance, the scriptures teaches us that we should never give up. Um, it says in Galatians... Um, want to see i think it's galatians uh, five, six galatians six um uh, galatians six verse nine um he says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up if we do not give up 
Um, we cannot give up perseverance. We're called to persevere. Uh, Paul speaks about this. He says, even though I'm hard pressed, even though I'm persecuted, uh, I'm not giving up. I'm running this race. I'm pouring myself out like a drink offering. And we're all called to that. We're all called to persevere. I see people become despondent. We all may go through situations where there's depression in our lives or where um, suicidal thoughts might creep in or we feel discouraged because our work didn't work out or uh, or there's a failure in a marriage or there is a, um, a failure in my family or there is broken relationships and we become despondent and we become disheartened and we want to give up. But because of the Spirit of God, we cannot give up. We need to keep running. We need to persevere because we're empowered by him. Because, again, we're making, we, we've got this great faith that, he's, that he is the one that makes us strong. Paul says, as he says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. His grace is sufficient to carry me through. You know, I don't know if you've, if you've ever watched the Apostle Paul, this, um, this um, movie that was made. Uh, it was a phenomenal movie and there was this one perspective that I've had. Um, you know, Paul speaks in, in, uh, in scripture about this thorn in his flesh and there's a lot of debate around what this thorn is. Some say it is illness, some say it was uh, bad eyesight, some say it was this or that. There's no clarity. I, I personally feel it's around his persecution. Uh, it's him knowing that he's being persecuted for his faith. Uh, I don't believe that it had anything to do with his sickness. Uh, or, or him having bad eyesight at that point in time. Um, but this movie gave it a, a slightly different perspective. Uh, it showed Paul in prison where he was sleeping and him having nightmares about the way that he's persecuted the church when, before he became saved. And he had these flashbacks of the people that he murdered. And then he wakes up and he, he says to Luke, who visits him in prison, he says that the devil is walking around uh, in the darkness and, 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 it's tempt and he's tempting him and he's persecuting him. And then he says, but your grace, your grace, Lord, is sufficient for me. That is maybe who I was, but that is no longer who I am. Your grace is sufficient for me. You know, the devil is the accuser. He's the one that's going to throw your history at you over and over and over again where he had you. He's going to want to keep you in that. And he's going to come back time after time. He's going to wait for an opportune time. But are we then saying your grace is sufficient for me? Your strength is made perfect in weakness. Perseverance is continuing to work out our salvation. Uh, in Philippians, uh, it says that we are to continuously working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we should work out our salvation. That we should know that we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved on the day of Christ's return. That our salvation will be made perfect on His return. Um, so are we working towards that? Are we, are we getting up every morning, Lord, and saying, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I thank you that you have taken me out of darkness. I pray that today will be filled with your presence and that you will guide me, that you will lead me. Lord, that you will come and give me strength that I may persevere. Um, I, I said to you about this great salvation that we've received in, in the book of Hebrews. I said that to you, it says, let us not make light of such a great salvation that we've received. Um, it says this in, in chapter 2 from verse 1, Hebrews 2 verse 1, it says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. 
For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by, the, by those who heard him. God also testifies to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Um, so, so are we then persevering in, in doing all the other things? Are we persevering in our faith? Are we persevering in our goodness? Are we persevering in our self-control? Do we have perseverance? He goes then on and he says, take this perseverance and make every effort to add to it godliness. Godliness, or the word piety, is not the same as goodness. Uh, the, uh, piety is, uh, or, or godliness, is having the fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, the, this is where wisdom starts creeping in. This is where you have taken your faith You've added the, the right choice. You made the right choices. Uh, you understand why. You walk um, in self-control. Uh, you, you persevere in that. And then you understand what he is like. And now you don't want to violate him because he is so good. And you are so afraid of being without him. It's not a fear of him that he's going to destroy you. It's not being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is an interesting topic and we won't delve into it. But the fear of the Lord is being so consumed with him. Having such an awe and reverence for him. It is looking up to him to see that he is God. That he is not even though he calls his friend, he's not my bro. He's not just alongside me. He is God. He is the eternal one. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And it is us not losing, losing that perspective. It is us not undermining him, his position. Remember, we spoke about this last week. It is coming under the submission of the position, um, uh, the, the authority, the person of Jesus Christ. It is understanding who he is. Um, when, when John was captured up into heaven uh, in the book of Revelation, he fell like a dead man when he saw Jesus. And we tend to look at Jesus and think that, man, he's just hanging out with me. He's just my buddy. He's just my friend. And I think it is such a privilege that this amazing God calls us his friends. But we cannot lose fact. Uh, we cannot lose sight of the fact that he is God. That he is the eternal one, that he is the uncreated one, that he is the creator of heaven and of earth. We cannot lose that perspective. Um, uh, so, so godliness speak of this personal righteousness that I mimic. It's not self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is something that I put on myself. We already said that righteousness is not something I can work for. I'm clothed with righteousness, but it's me seeking his righteousness. Remember Matthew 6 verse 33, seek first his righteousness and his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. It is seeking his righteousness. It's being submissive to his righteousness, his rule and his reign. Um, so it is, it's talking about godliness is mimicking him, it's walking in his footsteps, it's, it's reading the word, it's seeing what God does and then going out and doing it. I'll give you some examples and, and I spoke to my mom this week about Matthew 5 and she has this amazing revelation about Matthew 5 or the, the Beatitudes uh, and, and it's practical living the, practically living the word. Um, the word, uh, I think, is important that we understand that the word is not uh, just something that we read. It's not a theo It's not just a, a, a concept or an idea or a philosophy. It is something that needs to be actionable, and we're called to action. 
Um, and so um, there's, there's these portions in Scripture in Matthew 5 where it speaks about us loving our enemies. I wonder how many of us love our enemies. How many of us are praying for our enemies? How many of us are counting them more important than us? Um, no, we, we rather want retribution. And we rather want justice. Um, but what about everything that we do wrong? What about the grace that we so badly need? Um, are we extending that same grace? And, and I understand that sometimes we struggle through these things and that's where accountability is necessary. That's why we are to encourage one another um, to, 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 to lay down just our own self-righteousness um, and to mimic him. It's to please him. Um, in John 8 verse 28, Jesus says, Jesus says this, um, John, I just want to open this, John 8 verse 28, he says, um, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So are we doing what pleases him? That's godliness. It's, it's becoming like him. It's, it's walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Uh, it then says that we are to take this godliness and we are to add to it mutual affection. Uh, some translations says brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is um, a, a fervent, practical caring for others. It's counting their needs more important than mine. You know, I am, I'm thinking about this. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I know that if my natural sister phones me or my natural brother phones me and says, I need you, I'm in trouble, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to go running. And I'm going to be there for them and I'm going to do everything that I can to get them out of trouble. I'm going to do everything I can to, to help them to assist them, to be with them. And so we are to be for one another. My question is, is if, if, and I'm questioning myself, if you phone me in the middle of the night and saying, Colin, I need prayer, I need this. Am I willing to get out of bed? Am I willing to lay down everything to rush to your side? That is what brotherly kindness is. We read about it in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Um, sorry, I just want to get this. Philippians chapter 2. It says this, I want you to know how hard I'm contending. Oh, sorry, that's Colossians, uh, Philippians 2. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Um then um, uh, of one mind, do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to you, each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Um, it's having the same mindset of laying down my own importance. Uh, it is having this humility that I'm going to serve you. Um, so, so that is what mutual affection is speaking about. And then lastly, it says that we are to make every effort to take this brotherly kindness and add to it love. 
Love is agapeo love. It is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is the definition of agapeo love. It sits right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. It makes a part of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, it, it says that even though we have tongues, even though we speak with amazing tongues, even though, though we may know everything, even if we can prophesy, but we do not have love, then we are like empty vessels. We're clanging cymbals. We're just making a noise. And so we are to add love. Love uh, is something that we cannot muster up out of ourselves. This love that the Bible speaks about, it is something that we are baptized in. It is being so consumed with the Spirit. Um, and, and I want to propose to you today that the, that the order in which Peter wrote these things are important. It starts with the foundation of faith. It starts with us being obedient. It starts with us gaining knowledge. It starts then with us, um, you know, living godly, uh, having self-control, having perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and it climaxes in love. That is the end of doing all these things. It is the end of this nature that we carry is the love of God. Uh, it is only then that our love is really true. Now, I so often, Christ, secular Christianity speaks about two things. It speaks about faith and love. Uh, and it's important to speak about those things. Faith is the foundation. Like we said, we cannot gain this without that faith. We cannot gain this by doing any of these things. Uh, and that's why it says, remind yourself continuously. Make every effort to remind yourself of your calling and of your election. So it's even when I do all these things, and at some point I get so self-righteous by saying, oh, I'm awesome. Oh, I'm doing these good things for God is that I remind myself, no, 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 it's by grace that I've been saved. It is by his wonder that I've been called out of darkness. It is, it's solely the work of Christ. Um, but it culminates in love. Um, and, and so uh, as we build up towards love, um, we are perfecting, we are being perfected. We are being brought into the image of Christ. Um, it says this, that... Um, so, so love cannot exist with any of these other qualities. So, so secular Christianity, that's what I wanted to do as an example, will we'll walk around malls uh, and they'll take selfies as to how they pray for people. And they will, um, you know, take, take selfies as to how they um, dish out, um, you know, food parcels. Um, and I've got an inherent problem with that because my, asking, my question is, what is your motive? Um, if the motive is really pure and holy, then, you know, do what God tells you to do. But so often it is to show that, oh, I love you. That is a self, self-righteous love. It is me just wanting to show you how awesome I am. That's the motive. Um, and, and so we are to love uh, both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't show our great works. We should show our great works. The, the Bible says that. It says because it encourages others. It leads others people, other people to praise God for the goodness. But what is our motives? Are our motives really to love somebody or is it there to pull the attention, to draw the attention to us and to get some honor from that? I want to close off uh, just by, by saying this, um, that it says in, in 2 Peter just after that, it says that we, um, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. 
So, so often Christians will say, well, it's going to take me my whole life to perfect that. I don't believe that because Peter speaks about that doing this in increasing measure. It's as you do it daily, as you are diligent daily, you become better. It's, this is almost like, you know, you're going into a new job and you don't really know what's going on and you're, you, you kind of, um, you know, are orientated in, in that job and then you start doing it. There's that learning curve and then you become better and better and better and better and better at doing it. I think that this is important for us as well. The more we do it, the better we become, the better we do it. it we're doing it in, in increasing measure. Um, uh, it says, that, um, so if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who wants to be effective for Jesus? Who wants to live his kingdom? Who wants to see the sick uh, healed? Who wants to see the dead raised? Well, are you doing it? Are you laying your hands on the sick? Uh, are you praying for the dead? Um, are, you, are you praying that demons be cast out? Are you praying for people? Are you speaking life over people? Are you doing this or are you just saying, Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish that I can see the sick healed. Oh, I wish that I can see the dead raised. Or are you doing it? This is what it's speaking about. It's doing it. It is putting our faith into action. James, uh, James says this. He says... Um, uh, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes um, and daily food. Uh, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself in the, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. That is what Peter is talking about. That's what he's placing emphasis of. Because I have this precious faith, I'm going to show you my faith by my deeds. I'm going to show you how good God is because I have faith in him. Because his promises is giving me every opportunity to, to be a partaker of the divine nature. And I'm going to show this to you. And then I'm never going to be ineffective. I'm never going to be unproductive. And as I then in humility remind myself that it is by His grace, it is through faith, that I will never stumble, I will never be conceited, I will never get arrogant, I will never be haughty, because I'm reminded that it is all because of Him. It is as I'm surrendered to Him that all of these things come into place uh, and falls into place. Uh, it's not me trying this by my own strength. I can only do this, do this when the foundation has been laid. Um, I really hope that this uh, teaching on Peter has added value to you. Um, I think it is so important, like I said, that there's the sense of urgency. And so can we just pray uh, for a moment? Father God, I come to you and I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that we are clothed with power, Lord, that we cannot do this out of our own ability, that we cannot do this without our own strength. We can only Get things done as we are surrendered, as we are counting our faith precious, as we are valuing it, or as we are protecting it like the most precious treasure that we have. As we, as we value you, Lord, and see you for who you are, for what you have done and for what you have established. 
that you are alive, that you are seated on the right hand of the Father. I pray that you will come and bring encouragement. I pray that you will come and stir a sense of passion in our hearts, Lord. That we will be filled with your anointing. That we will be filled with your grace. That we will be filled with the love of God. And that we will walk it out practically every day. That we will show the world. The Bible says that the world is longing, it is crying out for the revelation of the true sons and daughters of God. I pray that your light will shine upon us, that we will place our lights upon the mountaintop, that we will not hide it under a, a, a basket, Lord. But that we will show the world how faithful you are. Not how good we are, we are but how faithful you are. Lord, I pray for every person listening Today, I pray that you will bless them, that you will keep them. I pray that the blood of Jesus will cover them. I pray, Father, that you will keep them, that you will place angels in charge over their lives, that you will protect them, Lord. I pray that your grace will be multiplied unto them, that your peace will be multiplied unto them. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.